0: So I'm going to begin uh, with a poem today. Again, from Rosemary. Some of you have certainly figured out that Rosemary Watula Tromer is my muse. Um, she is a poet, uh, a Western Slope of the of Colorado, and um, is a practitioner. She and I met years ago when we discovered we were. Uh, at a conference together and discovering we were teaching the same thing just through different mediums. So I love to bring her in to our retreats. So this poem is entitled, More Love, More Love. And it's based on a quote from Rita Mae Brown, sorrow is how we learn to love. If sorrow is how we learn to love, then let us learn. Already enough sorrow's been sown for whole continents to erupt into astonishing tenderness. Let us learn. Let compassion grow rampant like sunflowers along the highway. Let each act of kindness replant itself into acres and acres of widespread devotion. Let us choose love as if our lives depend on it. The sorrow is great. Let us learn to love greater. Riotous love, expansive love. Love so rooted, so common, we almost forget the world could look any other way. So stepping into today, I want to say a little, just sort of summarize a couple things from yesterday in order to point to where I'm headed and how it's connected. Yesterday, we had this movement um, as we, as I shared and you investigated the movement from gratitude into Feeling and sensing the interdependence, the interconnectedness of the world. And as part of that, also, we could feel the impermanence of it. The interconnectedness is based on impermanence. Things cannot be interconnected if anything is static, if anything is somehow going to stay permanent. Permanence is contradictory impossible in in an interconnected world. So impermanence and interconnectedness are two ways of two faces of the same concern, the same aspect. And as we explore this, we were understanding and finding the truth of our embeddedness in this, being intimately connected with everything and sitting in the paradox of both and, of yes, there is this small world and I'm connected to all of it. And with this connection and with this understanding of impermanence, it brings us into intimate contact with birth and with death, with those very fundamental aspects of impermanence. It brings us in contact with temporality, with how the contingent nature of everything on everything else and the unsatisfactoriness that is built into this system of birth and death. Unsatisfactoriness in the sense that there is change. It's undependable. It's we are constantly faced with conditions not being what we wish they were. Everything will dot born and everything will die. And it's conditional on so many different things that we cannot, we cannot fix it. We cannot alter it in any kind of fundamental way. We can exhibit our care but we cannot control it. And to believe that we control it is to add to our suffering in a very fundamental way that the Buddha was pointing us away from. So to be in this infinitely contingent world, to accept our participation, to care about it, to serve it, to be present in its incredible fullness, and simultaneously to recognize we can't fix and solve and control it. And this recognition, to be completely in it, and not be able to fix it, and to be touched by it, is the source, is the, is the, the fecund soil from which compassion grows to understand and feel our connection without fixation. To be in this world fully with our practice is to be willing to let go of the resistance, the denial. And of course we do that in steps, in stages, and at times more and sometimes less. But the, the doorway to that is our heart as we were exploring yesterday. To be willing to bear witness without fixing. I keep saying that because it's so important. There's a wonderful book that Bernie, Bernie Glassman wrote called, it's, I think the title of it is Bearing Witness. And he speaks about going to the places of the Holocaust. And to being willing to stand in group with the groups of people in that place, bearing witness. And he also does street retreats, bearing witness to the truth of living on the streets and being one of the being with intimately with that, not to fix it, but to fully embrace this truth. These truths. And in this, in order to do this, there has to be an element of equanimity. You can feel that as I talk, right? The equanimity, equanimity is born out of wisdom, is born out of understanding. This contingent nature that I spoke about yesterday. It's born out of understanding that there are so many conditions coming into a given moment. And this moment is as it is. This moment is exactly like this. That doesn't mean, again, that we can't influence, that we can't participate, that we don't, that that what happens in this moment, all of us participate in and the next moment is affected by how we participate. But this moment is just like this. And sometimes we resist acknowledging that this moment is like this, because we think that somehow by acknowledging the suffering that is here, by acknowledging the truth of climate crisis, of war, of marginalization, of all the different ways that our world is uh, in pain, that by acknowledging that, that somehow we're um, giving up or saying that this is the way it should, that this is the way it is and there's nothing I can do. That's not what it is. To fully acknowledge this moment as it is is to be willing to sit in the midst of it and to accept that there are all these conditions that have come to this moment. And then we get to do our part, our service, our care in this moment, along with everything else that's happening. And that's what moves forward. So this comes back to what I mentioned yesterday, that there's also built into this a lot of sense, a lot of uh, acknowledgement of responsibility, that we all are responsible for how we respond to this moment. It's beginningless, and there's this moment right here. And it's the understanding of the vastness that gives us the equanimity. Sometimes when I am I do retreats where I go out in the wilderness by myself for periods of time, and one of the places I love to go is on the rivers that are in uh, this southwest area. I live in Moab, Utah. And one of the things that is so helpful for me is this... I live in a place where there's a lot of the rivers are carved, the creeks are carved into these huge walls of red rock. And the red rock is sedimentary. And so each layer of the sedimentary rock is just millions, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of years. You see a whole wall and it's this expanse of time is inconceivable. And that inconceivability of time, of distance, of conditions coming together that I am floating down this river with this wall of time. And it gives me this vast view And we have different ways, each of us, that we sometimes many people find looking out into the night sky is a way of touching the mystery of that vast view and the infinite conditions coming together. And it's important that we have that vast view, that we have access to the Uh, the infiniteness of it. That gives us the ability almost paradoxically to sit in the midst of it. It allow the vastness, the understanding of all the causes and conditions and the interdependent nature of it all, allows us to draw in close to what's here without being overwhelmed. We can see the conting- contingency, the impermanence, and see that it includes the suffering, and the beauty, everything. It's the everythingness of it. So one of the pieces in this, you can hear it, is that our practice is to sit in the midst of it. And we were drawing closer to that yesterday. We were setting up the conditions of wisdom and understanding to allow us to come to sit in the midst of the difficulties, to sit in the midst of the suffering of our world, personal, familial, cultural, and vaster, the the suffering of the earth. We can touch that without, it's so important, you uh, you know, I realize the number of times I've said it, but without the, we may have the urge, the desire, the wanting that there is less suffering, but to cling to that and think that we are going to do it, that we are going to solve is just a source of suffering. And actually causes us to move away, to resist, to not be willing to contact. To embrace the suffering, to stand in the midst of it. This is part of what the Buddha talked about when he talked about that first noble truth. To turn towards it and to be willing and able to sit in the midst of it, to acknowledge it. And by acknowledging it, we can let go and seeing all the way, what all the factors to understand the impermanence and the interdependence is to sit in the midst of it and not to cling to it. To let it go. To let it be as it is. And I'll say it again, because I don't want confusion around this is that it's it's not that we can't act. In fact, it's requisite of us that we act, but it's acting out of a recognition that we are part of it, that we're sitting in it, that we are a part of the whole acting on itself. And this going into moving towards the suffering. I like the, there's a quote from a, a young that I really appreciate. He says, one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. The latter procedure, however, is disagreeable and therefore not popular. So. This recognition, right? It's dis—it's disagreeable to be willing to let ourselves come into contact with the suffering. And it's the wisdom and equanimity and our practice that allows us, us to do it. So I want to guide us in a practice that some of you, I imagine, are familiar with. And if you're not, I'm going to explain it. And it's the practice of Tonglen. And something came up yesterday that I thought I'd comment on um, uh, about Theravada, early Buddhist, um, early Buddhism, the And I'm firmly rooted in the early Buddhist tradition. And I am a firm believer in that many Buddhist traditions have found very skillful means. That there's a lot to be drawn from our broader Buddhist tradition that can support us in uh, meeting, and especially with meeting the conditions that we've been working with this weekend with the larger world. Because there aren't the direct teachings of how do you address climate change. So we need all the skillful means we can, we can... And so you have heard me already when I draw out the mention the bodhisattva ideal as a way of recognizing our connection, or, or now bringing in tonglen, which is a Tibetan Buddhist practice that I'm drawing at times from the Mahayana and the Vajrayana, and it's all part of our Buddhist lineage and can be so supportive. So I wanted to acknowledge that in case you wonder about some of the threads coming in to our weekend. So I want to share this practice of tonglen, which was um, a, a very early practice in in my own uh, practice history. I had a one of the first people I really had ongoing contact with was a, a Tibetan practitioner who taught a little class on. Tonglen and it was a year long thing and the commitment that we made to be in the class was to do Tonglen every day for the year for an hour so this is a practice I have a very um, a very intimate and uh, warm place in my heart for and I found as a compassion practice that it is Uh, really one of the most beautiful practices that we can do. And what we're doing in this practice is sort of feels kind of contradictory. What we're doing is uh, doing exactly what I've just been talking about. We're embracing, we're taking in, we're allowing what is difficult, where there is suffering in the world. We're letting ourselves take it in And then we're breathing out, we're sending out into the world, our care and our compassion, our connection with what those individuals, beings, places that are suffering. And one of the things that is key to this practice in my experience is that when we take in the suffering, If we think it's just me, just me, little me sitting here and I'm taking in all the suffering, we will be subsumed. We cannot individually tolerate the suffering of the world. It's too much. But it's not me. It's not little me sitting here. There is supporting us, part of us, standing behind us and in us, the great compassion, Kuan Yin, Shavara, the Buddha, they are connected to us. We are they, them and they are us. And so when we breathe in, it's not me doing, breathing in and transforming it. It's me As an extension, as an expression of this incredible, beautiful heart of the world. And that's very important as you do this. So I'm going to invite you to make it explicit as we start into the practice that you literally find an image. Something to support you, to lean against, to help you recognize that you're just being the conduit. The suffering is coming in and flowing into what is greater than you and the light and the care and the compassion. The great compassion is flowing out from you, through you. But you didn't create it. You didn't make it. You're simply part an expression of the great compassion. So we'll go ahead and begin to sit and we'll start by uh, spending a few minutes letting yourself find some support. What supports you? So finding your sitting posture. And if you can, really let yourself feel supported in that posture, either because you're, Leaning, excuse me, leaning against a chair or just the uprightness, feeling your back body as you're sitting. And as you come into your posture, beginning to let yourself relax the body and sensing a quality of support of being an extension, being part of. Taking a few breaths to relax the body. And then beginning to see what helps you feel supported. Perhaps sitting in the lap of the Buddha, having Quan Yin behind you, or a great tree or perhaps there's a person, the Dalai Lama, Thich Nhat Hanh, or somebody that really represents for you, or maybe it's a compassionate grandmother, see who, what allows you to soften into your back body and to feel supported. Remembering there's, if nothing comes to mind, there's always the earth. You can let yourself rest in a beautiful place that you're connected to and feel the benevolence of that place. Don't get too caught with trying to find the perfect. You can let there be a kind of trial period and just see how it goes. And then with the support of this being, this aliveness, there's a little starting practice called flashing bodhicitta. It's the practice of enlivening, touching in to our heart. So bring to mind in your heart center something that touches you, that warms your heart. It might be someone or some being that you care about, perhaps that's having a hard time, that there's this little tenderness. You don't need to choose the biggest or most dramatic thing, just something that touches you. perhaps someone who's struggling a little that you care about. And let yourself feel this sense of care in your heart. and then let the image go and just feel your tender heart. This is just a momentary flashing bodhicitta, flashing our good heart, remind, waking it up a little. And then we'll begin this practice First, very simply, just to get the feel of it, by breathing in, imagining breathing in what is smoky, kind of slightly polluted air, dusty, breathing it in and letting it travel through you to this Great benevolent being behind you, around you. And letting this smokiness transform into clarity, into ease and light, and sending it back out. And another breath of what is smoky, musty, breathing through your heart and recognizing this ability to transform, breathing out light and ease, clarity, letting the body stay very relaxed and soft. There's no big effort involved. This is so natural to us. The heart you need for this is already here. Now, allowing yourself to just bring to mind, perhaps it'll be the same image that you used before, but it might be different. Allowing yourself to bring to mind someone, some being, not the biggest one to start with, that there is suffering where there's difficulty, physical, emotional, psychological, it doesn't matter. And let yourself just have enough of an image or a sense of that person that you are aware of the suffering. Don't get involved in an extended story. And that's why sometimes using images can be helpful if that works for you. Just a sense of it. And then breathing that in, feeling the suffering, the challenge of it. Letting your heart be softened feeling the support of the great compassion and breathing out now care, well-wishing like a gentle, fresh breeze, a clear light and breathing it in again and breathing out. And as you do this, attend to your heart. If you notice that you're starting to be subsumed, that you're starting to suffer, then lean more into this great compassion behind you and be lighter on the image. This is not a suffering state for you. This is a tender, vulnerable, caring place. Sometimes a few words might float out for a particular circumstance and that's fine, but let it more predominantly stay with just a felt sense of care and light, a wishing of well, of wellness, And you can take this slowly. But as you feel ready, there might naturally arise some other image. And you can let that arise and breathe in the difficulty, the suffering of that image, letting it flow through. Being held in the great compassion and flowing back out as care, warmth, light. And you can continue in this way, just allowing different images to arise, being very careful. If you start getting involved in a story and getting very caught in a lot of thinking, then come back to just the simplicity of the musty air and the clear light and your breath. And then when you're ready, Come again to an image. And if at any time you start to feel yourself getting lost in it, you can do this practice for yourself right here in this moment. Breathe in any darkness, difficulty, heaviness that you are feeling. Let it be transformed in the great compassion and breathe it out to yourself. You can do that for as long or as much as feels helpful and appropriate, and then you might allow others to come back in as well. So play around with this practice. Let yourself adapt it to what works for you. Stay connected to your heart. No, you're not doing it alone. As we begin to come towards the end of the practice period, I encourage you to begin as you're ready to let the images go. Letting your attention rest in your heart, center area. Transition to radiating out a more general care and warmth out into the world. Letting it touch the space itself around you. Even without opening your eyes, letting it Go to the screen and to all the people here. Simply sending warmth, care. Checking that the body is relaxed. Feeling the warmth in your own heart. And then letting go of any and all effort at all. Just simply resting, resting in breath, whatever's here. We have a walking period now and then another sit. In the following sit, you could continue with the Tonglen practice if you'd like, or return to just a simple uh, practice, regular practice of breath and body. And when we come back at after lunch, because there'll be one more sit before lunch, And then after lunch, if there's questions that have come up for you around this practice, that'll be a time that we can talk in some of the details if that's helpful. So continue your practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.